Before introducing our speaker, I want to introduce the series that we're about to begin. It's the first time we've done a series like this at Westmont College, at least in the last decade, specifically like this, where we focus on the central task of what it means to be students, what it means to be faculty, and what it means to support and be about as staff, and that is learning. We are a college, we're not a church. And so we're going to take three sessions together, actually six this semester, including the small groups, and we're going to focus on what is the point of all this learning? What is the purpose? What can it be and what should it be in our lives? And we've decided to use our own faculty members to give us insights and guidance on this important subject. This fall, we'll hear first today from Dr. Wenberg, then we'll hear from Professor Marilyn McIntyre and Professor Shirley Mullen. And in the spring, we'll hear from Professors Robert Gundry and uh, Nivaldo Tro. And in the five sessions that we'll have together, we'll all be followed by small group discussion. And the speaker on the Wednesday will provide the questions for that discussion. I remember that in my early ministry at a local church here, the El Montecito Presbyterian Church, I had a layman come up to me, and uh, he was a layman who would always ask me questions about Greek because he studied his New Testament in the Greek, even though he was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He knew the scriptures inside and out. And I remember something he said about education, which aptly puts what this whole series is about, at least in my mind, and what we're attempting to do with it. It was Mr. Ken Hansen, by the way. He said, Bart, he said, learning how to be a lifelong learner is what education should be all about. Not just learning, but learning how to be a learner for the rest of your life. And in various aspects, like a diamond, we're going to lift up this concept of learning. And each of our professors that will be describing portions of it will twist the diamond just a bit so that we'll get a little different angle on it each time. Today, Professor Wenberg will be discussing learning as worship. Later this semester, we'll look into learning for friendship and learning for compassion. Now, I'd like to introduce Professor Wenberg. Many of you have had his classes He's been teaching here at Westmont since 1970, so he knows our campus well. He knows our student body well. He knows all of our faculty very well. He's a native of Santa Barbara, which puts him in a very small class of people, I think. Most of us have moved here from elsewhere. He's a colleague of mine in the Presbyterian Church. He's an ordained Presbyterian minister here in the Presbytery of Santa Barbara. Uh, he has many academic accomplishments and books which he has authored that you can find in our own bookstore. And his academic study and background are a PhD from Princeton, a THD from Princeton, which is a degree in theology, a Bachelor of Divinity, which is a degree from Fuller Theological Seminary, a Master's of Arts in Philosophy from the University of Pennsylvania, and a PhD in philosophy from the University of California at Santa Barbara. Professor Wenberg uh, is married, has been married for 39 years. He told me that might closely give away his age. We know that he's at least 59 or so. Or 49, I meant to say. 
He has one daughter who uh, is a graduate of Westmont College and is working on her PhD currently at UCLA in history. His wife teaches it in Carpinteria at the Carpinteria School District and was uh, all three of my children's teachers there. And uh, when Professor Wenberg's daughter was here teaching for a brief time when she had her master's, they uh, had a historic moment as a father and daughter team, team teaching a course together. So let's welcome Professor Robert Wenberg. Over the years uh, that I've been at Westmont, I have learned a great deal from students. Sometimes that learning has come in the form of students just being good people, and we all profit from good people in our lives. We learn from good people. Sometimes I have learned from students who have made remarks that were, believe it or not, wise and insightful, at least sometimes or who have challenged what I have had to say, and they have convinced me that they were right and I was wrong. Though when there's a conflict between what I believe and what students believe, it's more likely I believe that I'm right. Though the point is I'm not always right, and it's actually fun to learn from students. I have especially learned, however, from students who have said things that seemed right and attractive on the surface, but which were really deeply misleading. And the challenge in those situations has always been to sort out and clarify matters in ways that were helpful to the student and to me. And it has been trying to meet those challenges that has been most instructive to me over the years. So if this, these, this chapel uh, talk this morning can have a dedication, this one is dedicated to all the students I've had over the years who have been wrong. Wrong in what they had to say, but interestingly and provocatively wrong. You see, anybody can just be wrong, but to be interestingly and provocatively wrong is a different matter. A couple of years ago, a student said in my presence, last year I was really into studies, but this year I'm into spiritual things. And this was by no means the first time that I've heard that kind of remark from a student here at Westmont. I can recall remarks like this being made before you guys were born. So it's nothing new. And after you and I are long gone from the Westmont scene, some students will still be saying, last year I was really into studies, but this year I'm into spiritual things. So whereas last year, effort energy, and focus went into studies. Now much of that effort, energy, and focus is being redirected. It's going into spiritual things. By saying this, the student is declaring that he, and in this case it was a he, has a new set of priorities. Studies are being demoted and spiritual things are being promoted. He is discovering what it means to be really spiritual. This, you see, is one of those challenges that I referred to a moment ago. Notice that in this student's mind, there are two realms in which we Christians live our lives. There's the realm of spiritual things, prayer, reading scripture, witnessing, engaging in ministry of a rather explicit kind, 
that sort of thing. And then there's another realm, the non-spiritual, not the unspiritual, but the non-spiritual or secular, which includes studies, possibly things like work, preparing for a career, pursuing that career, raising a family, and so forth. The kinds of things that you would do even if you weren't a Christian. That's the secular realm. So what I'm doing right now, speaking in chapel, counts as spiritual. Whereas when I'm in class teaching, especially philosophy, that's not spiritual. When you're having devotions in the morning, that's spiritual. But when you're preparing for an exam or writing a term paper, that's not spiritual. When you're off on potter's clay, that's spiritual. But when you're doing an internship, that's not spiritual. So on this vision, it seems, we live our lives in two realms, the spiritual realm and this other realm. And becoming more spiritual, or at least a part of it, is a matter of spending less time in the one realm and more time in the other realm. I'm a graduate of a Christian college and very thankful for that fact. And the place where I went to school was admittedly highly directive and constantly didactic in a way that Westmont is not. Every moment was seized as an opportunity to instruct in some way or other. You couldn't escape it. For instance, in all the classrooms, right above the blackboards, were large plaques, often running the full length of the blackboard. And written on these plaques, in big, bold print, were sayings of the founder of this particular college. So you would come into the classroom, take a seat, be waiting for your professor to arrive, and there, as you looked up, you would be confronted with words like, the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. And so for that entire semester in that class, you would be confronted with words like that. The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. As a result, to this day, I have dozens of such sayings embedded in my memory. To that extent, at least, it was pedagogically effective. And those sayings were the subject of chapel messages on a regular basis. And one of those sayings in one of those classes that I sat in for a semester long ago is directly relevant to our focus this morning and directly relevant to our student who said, last year I was really into studies, but this year I'm into spiritual things. For in that classroom, on the plaque above the blackboard, were these words, life is not divided into the sacred and the secular. For the Christian, all of life is sacred. You see, when you become a Christian, it's not that you add to the secular dimension of your life a new dimension, the sacred, the holy, the spiritual, so that you are now a two-dimensional creature. Rather, when you become a Christian, all of life is transformed. All of life is rendered sacred. All of life is invested with deep spiritual significance, every dimension of it. The story is told uh, of an army surgeon who was about to operate in a hospital on an army base here in the United States. In the operating room, there was a small balcony where people, many times other surgeons, could sit and observe the surgery. And this surgeon was very good at what he did. 
On this particular day, the balcony was filled with army chaplains, men and women of the cloth. The surgeon turned to the chaplains seated in the balcony and addressed them, ladies and gentlemen, and then gesturing to the operating room, said simply two words, my cathedral. And then he turned and with life-saving skill and precision began to operate. Life is not divided into the sacred and the secular. For the Christian, all of life is sacred. That operation was a holy task. That surgeon and those assisting him were standing on holy ground. That operating room was indeed a cathedral where sacred rites were to be performed, as sacred as any that one could imagine. This gym, where we are now worshiping, is in a sense that I think we can all appreciate our cathedral. But in a few minutes, we shall leave. Chairs, I guess, will be moved and things will be readied, I suppose, for a physical activity class. But when we leave, it will not cease to be a cathedral. It will simply be someone else's cathedral. Again, in a few minutes, I shall leave and go to a classroom and there meet with my students. And that classroom will be our cathedral, the place where God has called us to be. It will be as much a cathedral as this place is for us right now, as much a cathedral as the finest cathedral ever built, a place where we are to serve God with all our energy, all our devotion, and all our faithfulness, because it represents the task to which God has called us. You see, being in the classroom is as sacred as being on your knees in prayer, as sacred as devotionally reflecting on Scripture, as sacred as serving on potter's clay. Life is not divided into the sacred and the secular. For the Christian, all of life is sacred. Notice that when the student said, last year I was really into studies, but this year I'm into spiritual things, he was pitting spiritual things against studies, and one seems forced to choose. And how can one turn one's back on spiritual things? Wanting to be spiritual, one apparently has to be second-rate as a student, or at least not as good as one otherwise would be. And if the logic holds, second-rate as a teacher or professor, second-rate as an attorney or as a surgeon. I do imagine, however, that the patient on that operating table in that army base was rather glad that he had a surgeon who was not into spiritual things, but rather into surgery. But of course, he was into spiritual things, which is just the point. It would be a shame, would it not, if graduates of Westmont, because they are into spiritual things, graduate less able than graduates, say, from UCSB. Though I think in this regard, perhaps our soccer team provides, our men's soccer team provides a, a model for us all at this point. So that those of us who go forth from this place to bear a cultured and literate witness for the gospel are actually less cultured and less literate than our secular counterparts to whom we are to bear witness. That those of us who are Christ's representatives lack the logical skills, the ability to reason, the ability to handle the English language and to articulate ideas with clarity and precision. 
that we lack the knowledge of the world in which God has placed us to live our lives, the natural world, the economic world, the political world. We lack, in short, what graduates of other institutions have in greater measure. Surely, coming to Westmont and being spiritual, whatever exactly that means, does not mean that. It does not mean that we are less committed to the academic task. Rather, coming to Westmont means that we take studies more seriously, not less, because studies like prayer are for us a sacred activity, a spiritual undertaking. Indeed, as prayer is offered up to God, so are our studies. This term paper, Lord, this exam, Lord, this quiz, Lord, this class presentation, Lord. I have a quotation that I want to share with you from Dorothy Sayers, the famous mystery writer and translator of Dante. Dorothy Sayers was in her prime in the 1940s, 50s, uh, 30s, 40s, and into the 50s. She admittedly had a somewhat idiosyncratic style, at least for her own day and possibly even for ours. She wore trousers, she smoked cigars, and she was, to boot, an articulate, thoughtful, and devoted follower of the same Lord that we are worshiping this morning in our cathedral. This is what Dorothy Sayers had to say relevant to our own concerns this morning. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. And we might add, pray and read your Bible. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables, church by all means, and decent forms of amusement, certainly. But what use is all that if in the very center of his life and occupation he is insulting God with bad carpentry? No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. No piety in the worker will compensate for work that is not true to itself. For any work that is untrue to its own technique is a living lie. And then Sarah goes on to say, the, the official church wastes time and energy and moreover commits sacrilege, strong word, commits sacrilege, in demanding that secular workers should neglect their proper vocation in order to do Christian work, by which she means ecclesiastical work. The only Christian work is good work, well done. She writes well, doesn't she? Her writing style reminds many of C.S. Lewis, and they lived about the same time, Sayers dying in 1957 and Lewis in 1963. Her writings about Christian things are well worth having on your permanent devotional shelf, a shelf that you should be stocking with good books while you're at Westmont. Not merely books uh, that you will grow out of, but books that you can grow into. Now notice what she has said. The very first demand that a carpenter's religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. This applies not only to carpenters, but in its own way, to lawyers, to physicians, 
to nurses, to CPAs, to administrators, to social workers, to business persons, to teachers, and last but not least, to students. To paraphrase Sayers, the very first demand that a student's religion makes upon her is that she should prepare good exams, produce good term papers, that she should be faithful to the tasks to which God has called her. Of course, in going to college, you are doing more than producing a term paper or exams. You are shaping a life, a life that is to be deeply Christian and deeply educated. Notice once more what Sayers had to say. No piety in the worker will compensate for work that is not true to itself. Again, paraphrasing her, but a bit more bluntly. No praying, no singing praise choruses, and feeling close to Jesus will compensate for work that is not true to itself. You see, an essential part of our being spiritual, not the whole of it, but an essential part, is simply doing well, as well as we can, to the glory of God, the tasks to which God has called us. And God has called you to be students and me to be a professor. But you say, what about prayer, scripture, and ministry? Well, these things should indeed have a significant place in our lives and in the lives of all Christians. While at Westmont, you should increasingly become a person for whom prayer is important in your life a person for whom the words and thoughts of Scripture are shaping and transforming your mind and heart. And there should be a ministry or service component to your life at Westmont, certainly at some point, learning to place your life in the service of others. And how this will all be orchestrated and brought together in the course of a four-year career will vary from student to student, and that's worth a sermon in its own right. But all of this is to be done in consort with your central spiritual task, which is to be a faithful student, learning, growing, and being transformed by the educational process. Well, that's really about all I have to say. And it may be just my luck, after exhorting all of you to do well at what God has called you to do, then I'll go from this place into the classroom and teach atrociously. <laughs> and uh, what a revolting development that will be. But you may go forth from here and do poorly on an exam, though it's too early for an exam, or a quiz for which you are not adequately prepared. Or you may go forth from here not having done the reading necessary to participate intelligently, profitably, and responsibly in class discussion. And now that we all have appropriate guilt on our shoulders, let me say this. <clears throat> there is always tomorrow for both of us. You have done badly in class, and I have done badly in class. But there's always tomorrow. Thank God for tomorrow. For what we want is to develop patterns of responsible behavior, which is central to our spirituality. Doing well, seeking excellence at what God has called us to do as students and professors. You do not have to be the best student at Westmont, and one's spirituality is not measured by one's GPA. And I do not have to be the best professor. But it is required of both of us that we be found faithful, that we seek excellence, and we will achieve this, of course, in varying degrees, but that we seek it. Paul said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God.
Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's take a moment for prayer. Dear God, teach us what it means to glorify you in all that we do. For all of us gathered here this morning, young and old, students and professors, we have much to learn, how to construct a life, a way of being in the world that honors you. There are so many demands upon our time and energy, so many good things that beckon us, and so many distractions that would lead us from your good purposes. How to sort this all out and live lives pleasing to you is the deepest desire of our hearts. Yet we need wisdom to know how to live and strength to be true to that wisdom. So we pray, give us of your wisdom and by your spirit grant us strong purpose. We thank you for the class of 1997 that only last year was in our midst beginning their senior year. Be with each member of that class, wherever they may be. Guide their steps as they seek a place to be in the world, a place of your choosing, where they can serve and glorify you. Especially we remember Patrick Steele, our brother, whose trials and challenges continue. May a bond be forged between Patrick and his classmates, bonds of prayer, friendship, and support that will last a lifetime. We commit Patrick and all his classmates to your loving hand, though we do know that that can be a severe love. Yet it is love, and that of that we are confident. We pray for this year's senior class, that they will provide leadership by word and example, that will contribute to making this a year of growth for all of us in knowledge, wisdom, and love. For all new students, support them as they make adjustments to a new place with new challenges. Sustain them and all of us in mind and heart for the tasks that lie ahead. And finally, we would not enter your presence without thanking you for your love for us expressed in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the call to discipleship, a call that embraces every facet of our lives. Teach us this year what it means to be disciples of your Son in our life together as a community of scholars, scholars young and old. This is our prayer, offered in the name of the one who calls us to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day. Have a good warm day, and we are dismissed.